0: We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Monday. No doubt we are going to have a weird, wild, and crazy week. I feel confident in saying that because, well, every week is weird, wild, and fucking crazy. But keep in mind I'm recording this particular podcast at about 1230 Monday morning. So none of the crazy shit that we might start to see on Monday has happened yet. So we'll give you updates, of course, on TikTok and here on the Rational Boomer podcast, if anything really crazy happens. But there's always something you don't expect happening every week, ever since Donald Trump became president. Because all of a sudden we had a certain amount of stupidity and ignorance infused into this country. And every day we hear things that are just fucking unbelievable. Now, the big story from yesterday, you might say, doesn't have anything to do with politics. Oh, come on now. Everything has everything to do with politics. So the big story yesterday, of course, was the Super Bowl. The Kansas City Chiefs beat the Philadelphia Eagles 38-35. to You're probably saying to yourself, well, Mike, what does that have to do with politics? Well, the game itself really doesn't have anything to do with politics. It's just a good old sport. But there are some political issues there. There are some play calls made by referees that uh, some of the, I, I would bet, all of the Philadelphia Uh, Eagles fans are questioning and frankly there were bad calls on both sides. I kind of preferred that Kansas City win the game. I don't really have any dog in the fight. I just have a particular dislike for Philadelphia Eagle fans not even the team so much as the fans. We've had some experiences here in Minnesota with Philadelphia fans And frankly, they're fucking animals. Now, for those of you that are listening that live in Pennsylvania, I mean no disrespect to you. But some of the fans for Philadelphia are absolutely fucking rabid and they do some crazy shit. I mean, this goes all the way back, what, to the 60s or 70s when they threw batteries at Santa Claus during a parade. You know what I'm saying. I mean, even if you live in Philadelphia, you got to say, yeah, that's maybe a little bit much. Anyway, Harrison Butker kicked a 27-yard field goal with eight seconds left after Patrick Mahomes broke off a 26-yard run on a gimpy angle. Ankle. Angle. Well, he, he put the ankle at a weird angle just before the end of the first half. And he was limping off and seemingly in pain. They took him off. We had the halftime show, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, because that's political to a certain extent. And I got a little story for you that has nothing to do with politics, but interesting nonetheless. But he goes off, and I think people were questioning whether he would come back or not. And if he didn't come back, what would that mean to the prospects of the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, halftime ended. Uh, Patrick Mahomes came out and he played a hell of a game after that. And again, the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Mahomes limped off the field after aggravating the right ankle injury just before halftime. You remember he had an ankle problem all this year and this particular incident did aggravate the injury. But he came back and he led Kansas City to its second Super Bowl in four years. Now, over and above Philadelphia, whether you like him or not, you can't help but like Patrick Holmes. He just seems like a happy, friendly kid, kind of down to earth. I don't know this for sure. That's just the perception I get. But the kid's making $40 million a year, so he's got good reason to be happy. And he's got two Super Bowls under his belt, two Super Bowl wins, and he's twenty-seven. So, I guess I would be happy at that point as well. Here's where some of the politics comes into the Super Bowl. Now, as they're scanning the crowd um, at the Super Bowl, the cameras, they were pointed at, uh, you know, one of those fancy boxes. And during the big game on Sunday, Elon Musk... The CEO of Twitter was spotted sitting with none other than Rupert Murdoch, the owner of Fox and other right leaning outlets and tabloids. It led viewers to remark that they were very well matched as two men who profit off evil, as one Twitter user put it. Uh, this is an interesting, interesting quote from Twitter, too, uh, by either Ellie or Eli Mistel. I'm Not familiar with the name, but uh, good quote. They said, it's a shame that Lex Luthor had to miss this game with his friends. (laughs) The man truly gravitates the grossest people at the function, said Nikki McCann Ramirez, though it wasn't clear which man she considered the gross one in that group. Elon Musk sitting next to Rupert Murdoch at the Super Bowl. Right-wing billionaire media moguls gotta stick together, I guess. But remember that image next time you hear Musk pretending to be anti-elitist or anti-establishment or anti-the-media or some kind of populist bullshit, lol. Yep, these people do flock together as much as Elon Musk says he's fighting against this, and he just wants people free. But he buddies up with Rupert Murdoch. That's the crazy thing about Elon Musk. He's seemingly, or at least reported to be a very smart guy. But ever since this thing started with Twitter, he's come off not too bright. He does things that put him in a bad light. And sitting with Rupert Murdoch, given what he's said in the past really questions his integrity. So, fuck Elon Musk. Fuck Rupert Murdoch. They are evil, and they are a scourge to this country. Now, halftime show. This is the thing that everybody look forward to. The halftime show was put on by Rihanna. And uh, I got to be honest, Rihanna's... I never got her music. It just wasn't something I was interested in, mainly because I'm old. I just can't relate to young people's music. Those kids and those fucking rock and roll. <laughs> but anyway, she did the show, and actually, she did a great show. That is how ninety-nine point nine 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 percent of the people in this country felt she put on a good show. Is very spectacular. Uh, And it was a good show. But former President Donald Trump didn't see it that way. He lashed out on his Truth Social platform right after she wrapped her halftime performance at the Super Bowl, attacking her for what he called the single worst halftime show in Super Bowl history. Oh, that sounds like Donald, doesn't it? Sunday's digital attack followed a Thursday post in which Trump ranted that the singer was bad, everything, and no talent. And then he said, without her stylist, she'd be nothing, the ex president added. The cause of his grudge was a little mystery. He quoted a post by his former White House doctor, Representative Ronnie Jackson. Who's a nutcase in his own right, in which the Texas congressman complained that Rihanna had made a career of spewing degenerate filth while badmouthing America every chance she get. Why is the NFL showcasing this crap? Wrote Jackson. Rihanna should not be the halftime performer. Now I heard another story that I don't know where she was. But on a wall or on a poster or something, she's scrawled, fuck Donald Trump. And that's just enough to tick him off, just a little bit. <laughs> but Donnie doesn't like Rihanna. He seems to be one of the very few in this country that don't like her. I mean, I don't get her music, but I don't dislike her. I appreciate what she's accomplished. And just out of curiosity, I went into Google and I said, what is Rihanna's net worth? You ever do that? Every time I come across a a star who's really a big star or somebody who's not quite a big star, I feel like I got to check out their net worth just to see how they're doing, making sure they're okay. But Rihanna's net worth is $1.4 billion. Now, how the fuck did that happen? I got an interesting story about Rihanna. Uh, Indirect connection. I have to Rihanna. Now you're thinking to yourself, what the fuck could this possibly be? Well, I've talked about this on the podcast before, and I may talk about this more because it took up a good portion of my life, and I have a lot of crazy fucking stories with regards to my time uh, working in the music business here in Minneapolis, and it was in the early eighties to the early nineties. Okay. And I had this recording studio that just happened to be kitty corner in a building, kitty corner from first Avenue. Now in this time period, this is when Minneapolis exploded because Prince exploded. And then a bunch of, a bunch of artists in and around Prince kind of exploded too. Now, I originally got in the business just to produce commercials. I'm not musically inclined. I don't know anything about music. However, things got really hot in Minneapolis. This became a mecca for music when Prince took off. Everybody felt like this was the hot spot to be and People came from all over the country to try to get discovered in Minneapolis. Now, I wasn't a player in the situation at the time. Because I was doing radio commercials and slideshows and uh, industrial films and shit like that. But as it got more hectic and got more um, intense musically in town, ultimately I had people come into me and say, Hey Mike, do you do music in your studio? And as so often the case with me, I just jump into something headlong, whether I know anything about it or not. So I said, fuck yeah, I do. I needed the money. You know, business was okay. It wasn't that great. So I did. And I started recording some music stuff. took a little while to get it figured out and tied in with the right people so I could do it properly, but I did. And ultimately, as things kind of rolled along and things got busier in Minneapolis with regards to music... It got a little crazy, me doing this music, Kitty Corner, from First Avenue. Now, you have to understand, the movie Purple Rain was essentially filmed outside my building because it involved a lot with First Avenue. So I watched the entire movie being filmed, and I never was really sure that it was going to be any big deal because I knew Prince wasn't an actor, but I was wrong about that. Of course, it was a huge hit. Still a huge hit and was actually a pretty good movie for what it was. Anyhow, while doing this, I started working with a lot of uh, um, artists, artists that were up and coming or working for somebody that uh, was already there. There was a number of Prince uh, offshoots that I work with. In fact, I represented a couple of artists that had been in the uh, group The Time, which was was a uh, a Prince production. He put the the band together with Morris Day, and uh, you know they 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 had periods of time. Uh, I don't know if you remember the story. There was a, a story where Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis was in The Time, and. Uh, they went and produced another act, SOS Band, and they weren't supposed to do that. A snowstorm hit, they missed a show, <laughs> and Prince fired their ass after the tour. And then a couple of other people came in. One of those was the bass player, a guy by the name of Jerry. Well, he played with the time through the Purple Rain thing, and he went on to play with a offshoot of the, of, of the time, a guy by the name of Jesse Johnson. Well, he wanted to get in the business uh, as a, an artist, and I represented him. And we had some pretty good luck with him. We ended up getting him a uh, publishing contract, actually one of the largest publishing contracts for a relatively unknown artist, uh, one of the largest in history. Didn't know I did that because I didn't know what I was fucking doing, and that's probably why we got it. But how this ties into Rihanna, there was another guy that was a founding member of the group The Time. His name is Monty Moyer. Now, Monty Moyer, if you looked at The Time, if you know The Time, he was the keyboard player, and he was the only white guy in the band. Monty's a good guy. He's a good friend. I've known him for a long time. He lived across the street from me. And it's funny, the time used to practice in his garage across the street. I know my sisters used to go over there all the time and watch the practices. So anyway, Monty and and my brother and I were, were pretty good friends because we lived across the street. We were a year or two apart. It was, uh, you know, we lived there a long time and we knew him. Um, when he started playing with the time, he got us tickets and all that kind of stuff. And and, and during the big the big uh, craze, the Prince craze, and the explosion in Minneapolis. We didn't represent Monty. He was above us at that point. He was, he was represented of somebody who was thought to be better or higher than us, but the guy ended up fucking him over, and he ended up leaving the time for a, for a while, and then he went to work with Jam and Lewis after they got fired, and he started writing songs. And he wrote some hit songs. He wrote uh, um, some songs for Janet Jackson on the Control album, which was a pretty big deal. And he wrote a song called If You Were Here Tonight. Now I don't know if you remember this artist, but his name was Alexander O'Neill. And he was from Minneapolis. And uh, he had a few hits from the Jam and Lewis production thing. Flight Time at the time. And uh, he had this hit, If You Were Here Tonight. And uh, that did pretty well. He made a little money out of it. He's written some other songs from notable people over the years. He ended up leaving Flight Time. And um, then he went on his own and did a number of things. Then he went back and started touring with The Time more recently. And now he's retired completely. Well, um he's on twitter and, and because he was in the uh, in the uh, business he knows a lot of well-known people and he was looking on twitter one day and <laughs> quest love you know him i think he's on uh, the tonight show he's the band leader and he's well known and very talented in his own right well he tweeted to monty he said hey monty congratulations on your number 1 song And Monty goes, what what the fuck are you talking about? I haven't written a hit song in a long, long time. And then he called us. And at that point, you know, because we'd been through the Prince thing and he was kind of on his own, he asked my brother and I to represent him. And my brother really spent most of the time representing him. I was doing other things. And he he called my brother and said, what's going on? And my brother didn't know what the fuck was going on. Well, here's what happened. This guy hadn't written a hit song for a while. He was touring with with uh, The Time, you know, just a nostalgia type thing. And so he, he uh, um, found out that apparently Rihanna did this song called Work, okay? And she did it on the halftime show last night. But she did this song Work. And apparently what they've done is take a small musical part of the song, If You Were Here Tonight, and incorporate it in the song, The Work, or Work. And so Rihanna's people contacted Monty and said, Hey, you're you're on this song as a writer. He had no idea he was on the song as a writer. Uh, he wasn't involved in the writing. See, that's the thing about songs today. You don't have a couple of guys sitting in a room anymore writing a song. These fucking songs have like 10 writers on them. Um, anyway, <laughs> they said, uh, how much do you want for your part of this? And so my brother stuck his nose in there and he said, I don't know, 20%? And they said, cool. <laughs> So, and and Monty had no clue what was going on. He's made some money from some songs, but he had no idea what he was getting into. Because at this stage, work has sold 9 million records or downloads or 90 million downloads. A shitload. A lot. And And that song was probably one of the most popular songs in the last five years. So granted, he just gets a small piece of that. But Song, that big, made him a pretty good chunk of money. I don't even know exactly. He won't tell me how much he made. And it wasn't my deal, so I have no business needing to know. But I was glad that he got this opportunity, you know, out of thin air. Because, you know, he's like anybody else, just trying to get by, trying to make a living. He wasn't a multi-millionaire from even writing a few other hits in the past so this was well timed and 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 much needed by monty and so and so he ended up making a lot of money off that song work now what you have to understand when he wrote the song if you were here tonight that was in the song work he was working for jam and lewis and when he decided to leave they basically held back his publishing rights for that song. He still got writer's credit. And even with just writer's credit, he made a lot of money off that song. Just that one song that came out that he really had nothing to do with other than that they took a piece of his other song and put it in this song. Well, here's where it comes and turns kind of interesting. There's a new rule in the music business that after 30 years, um, all the rights go back to the original writer. So with Jam and Lewis having these, um, uh, these um, rights to the publishing, they now revert back to my friend Monty. <laughs> and this thing's still making money, but this just happened like within the last couple of months. This is a new rule. <laughs> so this song is still going to generate money for Monty, but at the same time now that it was on the halftime show that's going to spur even more downloads they're thinking it could be 10 million or whatever it is 15 million 20 million it's a lot it's a lot and it means more money so as we're <laughs> we're watching the halftime show my brother and I were going, god please fucking play work and it was her biggest hit so of course she did play it so monty's pretty excited good good guy very low-key very unassuming guy and uh, so that's how I'm connected to Rihanna and I'm not really my brother is more working with Monty than I am I'm I'm doing a fucking podcast I don't have time for that shit (laughs) but it's kind of interesting to sit and watch you know I'm 62 my brother's 61 Monty's like 64 and (laughs) And Monty's making money, and we're excited about a song we don't even like. It's not that great a song in my estimation, but who am I to say? It sold millions and millions and millions of records, CDs, downloads, whatever the fuck they're buying it with. And so (laughs) that's my connection to Rihanna after my eight or ten year stint in the music business. (laughs) I got out in the early 90s, and now, 30 years later, we're somehow tied to this huge record. Me, indirectly, my brother a little more directly, and Monty is one of the co-writers on that very huge song. I know that has nothing to do with anything that we normally talk about, (laughs) but I thought it was interesting, and uh, it's my fucking show, so I'll tell you whatever the fuck I want to tell you. (laughs) Anyhow, and by the way, you know, in terms of my time in the music business, I've got literally millions of crazy stories from being in Minneapolis at the time when everything was just going crazy musically and what I was doing in it. I think it's interesting because while I, I dealt with the higher echelon people, sometimes I was more in the middle. And, uh, you, you know, you've heard all the stories about Prince and the time and all this stuff. But what was going on in the middle was fucking nuts. It was crazy. I, I have a bunch of stories. If you have an interest in it, I'll be happy to tell some now and again. But it's exactly the opposite of what the format of this show is. Um, so I don't really talk about it a lot. I've thought about doing a whole different show talking about that stuff. Anyway, that's the story. Let's talk about some quick news here before we have to take a break. Um, <laughs> believe it or not, it seems like this story comes out every day in a different part of North America. We know that uh, some flying object was shot down in Canada like yesterday or the day, no, the day before yesterday. And the day before that, there was one uh, shot down um, in Alaska and before that, there was another balloon shot down off the coast of um, South Carolina after after it had traversed the entire United States. This is getting kind of crazy, and you think, God, went, you know, that's weird, three in a row. Well, now there's four in a row. U.S. officials said an unidentified object has been shot down Sunday for the third time in as many days, this time over Lake Huron, after earlier downings in Alaska and Canada. Representative Elisa Slotkin of Michigan tweeted that the object has been downed by pilots from the U.S. Air Force and National Guard. A U.S. official confirmed the shoot down. U.S. and Canadian authorities earlier Sunday restricted some airspaces over the lake as aircrafts were scrambled to intercept and try to identify the object. Now, interesting, it sounds like some of those jets were scrambled from Duluth, Minnesota, just north of me here. But that's four. That's four unidentified, well, three unidentified flying objects. And I say that because they haven't told us what they are yet. We know the one off the coast of South Carolina was, in fact, a Chinese balloon It doesn't sound like these others were Chinese balloons in the sense that we know Chinese balloons now. But it was something flying. And it's interesting. We need to find out what that shit was. Was it weather stuff? Why is this all of a sudden had this great outbreak of these flying objects coming across Canada and America? Is it because we're now more aware of it? and We're watching for it? Has this kind of shit been going on for a long time? Clearly, during the Donald Trump administration, there was at least three balloons that crossed the country, and they didn't even notice. They were too busy trying to own the libtards, so they never noticed. We heard about it uh, recently, those three, uh, when the Biden administration let us know that those three crossed the country under Donald Trump. Here's the interesting thing about this, though. This is interesting. Now that this is happening, of course, all the UFO freaks are freaking out. Oh, they're coming. (laughs) They're going to take over the country. The UFOs, the aliens, the Martians, whatever you want to call them, they're coming. We told you it was going to happen, and now they're coming. And I had somebody tell me that, and I go, well, hold, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. You're telling me that you believe this is UFOs and aliens coming to Earth finally, as you promised and as you predicted over all these years. I find that hard to believe. I mean, think about this. If we talk about aliens and spaceships and UFOs and all that shit, isn't it common knowledge that these people or entities or aliens are advanced civilizations, more knowledgeable, higher technology, and uh, just smarter than we are. Isn't that what we're led to believe? Well, if that were the case, how is it that every one of these three unidentified objects that they're claiming are aliens, space aliens from space, If that's the case, why is it so easy for us to scramble these planes, go up, shoot them down, and drop them into a lake or the ocean or whatever? I think if it were aliens, advanced aliens, I don't think it would be that easy, you know? I just don't think it would. It doesn't make any sense. This is more tied to spying or something, but I don't think it's space aliens yet. I mean, everybody has different ideas about aliens. Oh, they're good guys. Oh, they're going to kill us all and take over the world. (laughs) Well, if they were going to kill us all and take over the world, they don't sound that advanced and they don't seem that tough because all we have to do is send up some of our archaic uh, fighter jets. And I say archaic in the sense of somebody who might be advanced and just shoot them down. If that's all it takes, we can shoot down aliens all day, every fucking day. I don't think it's aliens. If they're advanced, they're not going down that easy. (laughs) It's just kind of silly. The intriguing thing is, though, they haven't told us what they are. I mean, we've heard some things about them, that they are cylindrical. And we've heard stories about UFOs that uh, were cigar-shaped or cylindrical. And maybe this answers some questions that people have had for years and years. Maybe what all these years people have been seeing, uh, these things that look like cigar shapes, maybe they've been balloons. Maybe they've been something like these other three unidentified flying object and not, in fact, from outer space, but something from our own country, our own world. I, I, I don't know. It's just a weird situation that we keep getting these flying objects over the country four in eight days, three in three days. We got to figure this out. We got to let people know what the fuck it is. If it's just bullshit and it's just weather balloons or it's just spy balloons or whatever the fuck it is, we need to know. We need to know this because these crazy fucks will continue spewing this information that it's, it's space aliens and they're coming to get us. We told you. Fuck you. We wouldn't be able to shoot them down that easy if they were advanced civilizations and space aliens. All right, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. All right, this one's kind of a pet peeve of mine. You always hear the Republicans talk about, oh, I hate cancel culture. What the fuck does that mean? I mean, really, what does that mean? And there is a uh, governor. His name is Chris Sununu. He's a Republican from New Hampshire. Now, I believe his father, John Sununu, was a big name either in Nixon or some other Republican former president. But he's now the son of John Sununu, Chris Sununu. He's the governor of New Hampshire. Now, he's kind of half a Trumplican. He did kind of support Trump at first, like Republicans do. But then when, when Donald Trump started taking a shit on the Republican Party, he kind of backed off of it. But he still... He's still kind of about the Trumpism. Now, during an interview on Face the Nation, the host, Margaret Brennan, asked Sununu why he had criticized Republicans trying to outdo Democrats by imposing government rules. He said, remember what's going to happen, Sanunu said. Eventually, Democrats will have power in a state or position and then they'll start penalizing conservative businesses and conservative nonprofits and conservative ideas. Do I like what every private business does, he continued? No, I hate this woke cancel culture. <laughs> and then, then the host, Brennan, Margaret Brennan, did the one thing that Republicans hate, asked him a question, asked him what he meant he said, she said, what does that mean to you? Sununu replied, won't cancel culture? And she said, yes. And she says, well, Sanunu said, oh, it's, it's, well, look, it is because you're not a culture warrior, Brennan noted. No, no, Sanunu agreed, but it's there. What does that mean on your platform, the host asked. It's the divisiveness we see, not just in our schools, but in our communities, Sununu insisted. Where it is me versus you, where if you're not adhering to my ideals, then I'm going to cancel you out. It's us versus them. It's the binary where everything is a war. That's a culture problem we have to fix in this country. But government never solves cultural problems. And see, that's my point. Everybody's screaming about cancel culture. And I kind of jokingly, but not really jokingly, I said cancel culture. It's very easy to overcome cancel culture. If you do fucked up shit, people will believe you're fucked up. So if you want to avoid being canceled, just don't do fucked up shit. It's pretty simple. But this is the thing. This is the thing that confuses me about their complaints about cancel culture. The whole premise of it is simply this. Somebody does something, and the rest of the country finds out about it, and they essentially cancel this person. We've seen it a lot. We saw it with Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby has been canceled by this country, but of course he raped a lot of women, so it seems fair. So what I get the impression when somebody like Sununu or any of these other Republicans that complain about cancel culture, to me what they're saying is, we want to do fucked up shit, but how dare you find out about it, and how dare you get mad about it? Nobody can stop cancel culture. This has been going on for all of time. Somebody does something bad, then they get canceled. And when they get canceled, basically what that means is those people that maybe like them at one point don't like them anymore. I mean, let's go back to the 50s. Rock Hudson, big time movie star, handsome guy. He was the love interest and lead of every movie, but he was gay. Turns out he was gay, and they hid that from everybody. They hid it from everybody because they knew he would be canceled in the 50s for having the audacity of being gay. There were magazines that were going to come out and leak that story. They were paid off or pressured or whatever because they didn't want Rock Hudson canceled. Now that would have been a horrible thing if that happened to Rock Hudson, but it was the 50s, it was a different era. Frankly, at that day and age, you may or may not know this, but to be gay and act gay was fucking illegal. You could end up in jail for it. And so Rock Hudson could have been canceled for being gay, had people found out about it. He wouldn't have been as big a star. He would have been sent away in shame. And that's how it works. That's not right, but it's not a law or a policy. It's people's opinions. If something bad happens or somebody does something bad, you get canceled. Richard Nixon got canceled. And why? Because he committed some crimes. He lied to the American public. And he had people, his people, break into a Democratic headquarters. And for that, he got canceled. So is it the problem or the fault of the people that did the canceling? Or is it the fault or the problem of the person who did the fucked up shit? You see what I'm saying? They complain about it all the time. But how are you going to stop it? What are you going to do? What plan, what strategy are you going to employ that stops cancel culture? It's just human nature. People do it all the time. And sometimes people use it as a weapon, like in the instance with some of the press with Rock Hudson. They wanted to get Rock Hudson canceled. Fortunately for Rock Hudson, they were pressured or paid off, and it never happened. At least, you know, we found out about it later when he contracted AIDS. But by that time, he'd already been a big star for many years, and it really didn't make that much difference. We were all surprised by the illness, but— but. Um, the fact that Rock Hudson was gay wasn't a big deal. See, this is the thing that's so interesting. They complain and complain about cancel culture, but there's really nothing you can do about it. I mean, if you have, if, say, you work in a job someplace and somebody you work with who may or may not be a friend calls you a name, says you're a stupid motherfucker. In your mind, you're canceling that motherfucker, at least with regards to what you think. You've canceled him, and that's a natural reaction if somebody does something bad, especially if they do something bad to you. It just seems very strange to me that Republicans hate this cancel culture even though they use it all the time. They try to cancel out Hunter Biden, Joe Biden. They try to cancel out Ilhan Omar when they took her off the committee. They try to cancel out AOC, uh, Eric Swalwell, and Adam Schiff when they take them off the committees. They love cancel culture until they're the people being canceled. And they're getting canceled for legitimate reasons. They've done fucked up shit. You see what I mean? I hate hearing about these people whining about cancel culture. And that previous story basically pointed out Margaret Brennan said, What does cancel culture mean to you? Actually, woke cancel culture. And he had no fucking clue what it was. See, that's what Republicans do. They just spew buzzwords and taglines. They don't know what it is, they have no substance. They can't explain it. They can't tell you why it happens or how to avoid it happening. And I think it's because it's so fucking simple. As I said, if you don't want to be canceled, don't do fucked up shit. It's very simple. And for whatever reason, they don't get it. They're against it. And the only thing I can possibly think of is like I said before. We want to be able to do fucked up shit, but you can't acknowledge it, and you can't feel bad about us when we do fucked up shit. That in itself sounds pretty fucked up. Don't you agree? I love it when they spew cancel culture. They do it more than anybody, and they're whining about something they can't fix, and they're whining about something they fucking deserve. All right, let's talk about... uh, Donald Trump, speaking of fucked up. well, Donald Trump's lawyer told CNN that his client had been cooperating since the beginning of the National Archives efforts to get documents back in February of 2022. His other excuse is being ridiculed by those who saw the interview. (laughs) This is fucking hilarious. And I cannot believe that a lawyer would use this excuse. No doubt Donald Trump gave him this excuse and said, you're going to use it no matter what. And this lawyer is just ruining their reputation by using it. So anyway, with kind of a smirk, Trump's lawyer, Timothy Parlatore, said, see, there's a light on the phone near Donald Trump's bed at Mar-a-Lago. The light is annoying, and evidently the only thing he could find to cover up that light was a classified document. <laughs> you don't have a fucking pillow, a blanket, you can't unplug the motherfucker. What's what's the problem? Palatori, who I believe is being wheeled out to do TV for the first time with his line of guff, defended Eddie Gallagher in his murder trial and said legal analyst Lupe B. Lupin, who goes by Southpaw. I don't even know what the fuck that has to do with anything. Guardian reporter Hugo Lowell pointed out that he did confirm that the outlet's reporting that the Justice Department issued a subpoena for the empty classified evening briefings folder that was in his bedroom, adds it was being used to cover a blue light on his landline phone that kept him up at night. A political comedy account on Twitter, Spiro Agnew's ghost said, If there was an Olympics for utterly insane lying, it would be a tie between George Santos and Trump and his dumpster fire lawyers who lie on his behalf. See, that's the thing. Um, These lawyers do and say ridiculous things because Donald Trump tells them to. And they're either afraid or coerced into doing whatever Donald Trump says. See, there's, there's where Donald Trump fails every time. And this is what's going to get him put in jail. He hires lawyers and then he tells the lawyers what to say. Donald Trump doesn't have a fucking clue what he's talking about. But it doesn't matter because, of course, Donald Trump is the smartest man in the world in his own mind. So he can't let the lawyers do their job, use their degrees, use their standing uh, in the legal system to use their best arguments. They are forced to use Donald Trump's arguments, which have no legal basis and are absolutely fucking absurd. For the life of me, I cannot believe that lawyers allow that to happen. If I'm a lawyer and I know how I should present something— And Donald Trump, my client, says, no, you're going to do it this way. And I know it's fucking stupid. I'm not going to do it. I don't care how much money I'm getting paid or promise to get paid and not getting paid. I'm not doing it. I'm not ruining my career, my reputation, and people's perception of me just to appease this dirty, diapered, orange piece of shit. But they do it. They fucking do it every time. We've got people that are now lawyers of Donald Trump that have been sanctioned to the tune of a million dollars. We've got some at risk of getting indicted and going to jail, and they just keep doing it. Fucking amazing. It's either ridiculous greed or some ridiculous loyalty, or they're in a cult too. That's the only way to explain it. Absolutely crazy. Now, of course, the Republicans are back to their main strategy in dealing with the people of this country, and that is gaslighting them. They get exposed for doing something, and they say, oh, no, we weren't doing that. We were actually doing this, or what I meant to say was this. So one thing I would ask every Republican, don't tell me what you meant to say. Tell me why you can't say what you meant the first time. That should be the least we could expect out of our politicians, out of our leaders. So now Republicans say they would not cut Social Security and Medicare programs. But everything else is on the table in the talks over raising U.S. government borrowing limits, the debt limit. This came from House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer, who's a fucking nutcase in his own right. So now what they're saying, now that they've been exposed about the Social Security and Medicare cuts that they've been talking about for decades, now that they've been caught and been exposed and the whole country knows that the Republicans want to do that, They're saying, oh, no, we don't want to do that, but we're going to negotiate with Joe Biden about this raising of the debt limit, and he's going to make some cuts. Oh, yeah, what cuts do you want? Well, that's Joe Biden's job. No, motherfucker, you're the one that's asking for the cuts. What do you want cut? At first, you wanted Social Security and Medicare, and when you got exposed and you saw how bad it was for you, you backed off of it temporarily. Don't be surprised if that's back in the news at some point. So anyway, they're saying that uh, they're not going after Social Security and Medicare at this point. And uh, but everything else is on the table. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, Mr. Comer. Joe Biden very specifically said he's not negotiating on shit. And the reason he's not negotiating on shit is because over the 80 times they've done this before, they've never negotiated on shit. It's a rubber stamp. You have to do it by way of the Constitution. You have to raise the debt limit. If you don't raise the debt limit, it will crash this country's economy. Maybe maybe the global economy. It's just fucking common sense. You don't get to play this game and play bully and try to leverage this this debt limit thing. See, Joe Biden's smarter than you are, and he proved that in that State of the Union thing. You kept talking about cutting Social Security and Medicare programs, and in that State of the Union, Joe Biden shoved it down your fucking throat. And you know what? He keeps shoving it down your throat. He found a good key to shutting you down and shutting you up, and that's bringing this up. And the sad thing for you Republicans is he can prove that you did it. There's videotape. There's the pamphlet that Rick Scott wrote. You can't deny it, even though you're trying, because the evidence is right fucking there. Now, Comer said, we need to shore up those programs. They're running out of money. But at the end of the day, those programs are going to be off the table with respect to cuts. But everything else is on the table, Comer said in an interview on ABC's This Week with George Stephanopoulos. Now, the U.S. government neared its $31.4 trillion debt ceiling earlier this month, prompting the Treasury to warn that it may not be able to stave off default past early June. And you know the Republicans are going to walk it up to June. But they will not let the country go into default. They will not. As tough as they talk, they will not do that. Now, as the deadline looms, Republican lawmakers and President Joe Biden are locked in a disagreement over the path to raising the borrowing limit. Biden says he would not negotiate over raising it. And he's not going to. I hope he doesn't negotiate one fucking thing and the republicans say they would not agree to raise it without spending concessions as i've said before this is a fucking game of chicken and what we've seen out of joe biden as of late he's the wrong guy to play chicken with because joe biden unlike most of these representatives these republican representatives knows how the system works He's got the Senate Republicans on his side. Just sign the fucker and get it done. That's the only answer to this problem. But the representatives, the Republican representatives in the House, they do what they all do. They fucking double down, triple down, quadruple down, and they don't give in. But as we get closer to June, they know now and they'll know even more then. If that debt limit doesn't get raised in June, at, the, at least at the very last moment, and the economy crashes and the global economy crashes, the Republicans will take the blame for it like they do every fucking time. And they will not do that. You think Mitch McConnell is going to sit there in the Senate and just let these fucks do what they're doing? No way. No way. It's not going to happen. But they're so stupid, they're so dumb, they will continue to push this as long as they can. And in the end, when it comes down to nut-cutting time, they will give in and fail once again, because that's what they fucking do. All right. Donald Trump's lawyers are now trying to blame the Justice Department For the reason that the former president didn't immediately hand over the documents he had, these most recent documents, a new search revealed this week that Trump had a laptop and thumb drives with classified information on them. And that may be Donald Trump's final undoing. Because you see, they took classified documents, copied classified documents, put them on a computer, and then put them on a thumb drive. Well, how many thumb drives did they copy these classified documents to? How many did they do, and where did they go? This is proving that they were trying to do some dissemination, meaning they were making copies of these things and getting them out to other people. Well, who are those other people? Whoever they are, they aren't legally allowed to see these things. But Donald Trump apparently was in the middle of this crime. It's one thing to have stolen the documents, which he had. It's another thing to hide the documents, to lie to the DOJ. But then when you have proof that he was copying these documents and potentially disseminating them to God knows who, well, there's a problem. There's a problem Donald Trump can't get out of. Now, with very little pushback during the interview, Paula Reid noted that the difference between Donald Trump and people like President Joe Biden and former Vice President Mike Pence is that they were happy to cooperate from the beginning. New York lawyer Tim Parlatori, the gentleman we talked about earlier, he said, I would disagree with that, that he's under investigation, asked Reid. No, not that said parlatory, but that he didn't try to cooperate. From the beginning, he has tried to cooperate, meaning Trump. In fact, he had a meeting with the members of the DOJ where he said, if there's anything else you need, let us know. DOJ has taken a position of, you know, really an adversarial position on this, which... Whereas much as we want to cooperate with them, oh, we're trying to cooperate with them, they would rather make this into an adversarial fight and try to make it into a criminal case. Well, they want to make it into a criminal case because you fucking committed crimes. Had they handled it appropriately from the beginning, agreed to work with us, work towards making sure that we just get the documents and everything is, you know, put back in its place, this is all would have been avoided. A lot of what you have here is an appearance of noncompliance, which is created by the DOJ. Now, here's the problem with that. The reality is that the National Archives worked with Donald Trump for nearly a year. It took a year to try to get the documents without any kind of adversarial conflicts. Finally, they came to Mar-a-Lago and retrieved 15 boxes. Presumably, that's all he had at the time. And why would he have more than 15 boxes? Who the fuck knows? Trump told his lawyers to tell the archives that all of the documents have been returned. See, Trump was trying to game this fucking thing. I'll just keep the rest of these and they'll never know. (laughs) Oh, they fucking knew. Trump told his lawyers to tell the archives that all the documents had been returned, and that was a fucking lie. Again, a crime. And the fact is that Trump knew it wasn't all of the documents because the remainder of the information was found in his personal office as well as his personal fucking desk drawer. So not only did Donald Trump lie, he knew he had more of these documents And this is where the adversarial part comes in. If you lie to the National Archives, you lie to the DOJ, you stole these things in the first place illegally, you tried to hide them illegally, you kept them in an unsafe place illegally, and now we find out that you may have tried to disseminate some of this stuff or actually accomplished it, And now you're saying, oh, the DOJ is just trying to make us look bad. No, motherfucker, you're making yourself look bad. Everybody knows what you did. Everybody knows what happened. I mean, we heard about people finding documents clogging White House toilets and plumbers had to be called. Trump has denied it, of course. Axios posted the photos showing Trump's signature Sharpie writing sitting at the bottom of the toilet bowl. But no, that didn't really happen. Don't believe what you say, what you see. Believe what I tell you. The archives briefed Congress on February 18, 2022. It was revealed two months later that the Justice Department had now become involved. Well, what the fuck do you expect? You try for a year to get documents, then he doesn't turn over all the documents. You send him a subpoena, he ignores it for 90 days, and then they decide, fuck it, we got to search this guy's place, so they get a search warrant. But it's the DOJ's fault because they didn't want to work with him. No, parlatory? I would say the evidence says just the opposite. By May 11, 2022, the Chief of Counterintelligence and Export Control at the U.S. Justice Department's National Security Division, Jay Bratt, asked the Trump documents staffer comply with a subpoena that had been issued for the documents. Again, they flat out refused. That is when the FBI moved to get the documents on June third. So the idea that Trump claimed Anything else you need clearly wasn't applicable at all during 2022. Even as Parlatori took over the legal battle after the FBI search was upheld by an appeals court, it was found that Trump still had more classified documents and this laptop and these thumb drives. In November, Trump proclaimed he didn't steal the documents, but he was transparent about it. No, he said he did steal the documents, but he was transparent about it. So it goes back to all this other shit that Donald Trump has always done. No, it's not illegal if I do it in front of your face. You can't be mad about that if I commit a crime in front of your face. That's how weak his arguments are. That's how fucking silly it is. Donald Trump is not going to get away with this shit. Especially now that they have this laptop, that's going to tell a lot of stories. And even if they tried to wipe the laptop, the FBI has every ability to bring back whatever was on that laptop. They handed over that laptop begrudgingly. They know it was going to cause them trouble, but they had no fucking choice, so they did. And as I say, that laptop may very well be the undoing of Donald Trump once and for all. I got my fingers crossed. I have my legs crossed. I have my eyes crossed, hoping to fucking God that they do this. If they don't, as I've told you before, if Donald Trump gets through the next two years and all the little acolytes around him get through it for the next two years and don't get indicted, Joe Biden's going to take the heat for it. And you know what? He fucking deserves it. If after four years they can't come up with the courage to indict Donald Trump, there is something very wrong with our current judicial system, our Department of Justice, and our president. That said... I believe something will be done, and I think it will be done over the next six to eight months. It's going to have to. The longer they wait and the closer they get to the next election, it's just going to be a mess again. They know this. We know this. Donald Trump and all his people know this. So they're getting ready for the shit to hit the fan sometime soon. All right. Since we're talking about shit, let's talk about Ron DeSantis. There's an organization overseeing advanced placement courses, AP courses, and college entrance exams. Uh, And they went after Florida Republicans on Saturday for spreading misinformation about its new African-American studies course for political gains. Last month, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announced that the Florida Department of Education would reject the new course because it included topics about race that he and other conservatives have pushed to erase from public schools. In its pilot phase, the course covered topics like mass incarceration and reparations. The law that Ron DeSantis has is known as Stop Woke Act. I always like that word woke. What would the opposite of woke be? Well, that would be asleep, I would believe. And if asleep is the opposite, I'd rather be woke than asleep. Does that suggest that the Republicans, Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump, all the fucks in Washington, D.C. are asleep when it comes to racism? Well, apparently, they don't see it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want kids to know what's happened in our past, in our history. So maybe they are a fucking sleep. I'm not sure. I had this debate with somebody just the other day. They are convinced that Ron DeSantis will be the candidate in 2024. And I tried to explain to them why he won't be. Ron DeSantis has all kinds of problems, all kinds of problems in Florida. He's now going to be taking over the, uh, um, the Disney properties. You know, he got mad at them about this woke shit and wanted to take away their deal with Florida. And the deal with Florida basically was that they kind of ran their own little city, state, country. I don't know. But they made enough money. They hired their fire departments, police departments, waterworks, and all this other stuff. They handled it themselves. So when Ron DeSantis got um, embarrassed when they said they weren't going to go along with this this uh, racist attitude that Ron DeSantis had. He got mad and he says, okay, well then I'm going to take away your Reedy Creek deal and you won't have that anymore. Well, initially he thought, and a lot of people thought that that would upset Disney. But what it in fact does is helps Disney save tons of money They pay a lot of money to pay fire departments, police departments, waterworks, electric, all this other shit. They pay a lot of money for that. And once Ron DeSantis had taken away that deal, now all that money is going to become the responsibility of the state of Florida. And all those people around Walt Disney World, taxes are going to go up. How do you think that's going to play for Ron DeSantis. Not, not well. He's another one who comes out, gets mad, reacts out of emotion, and then realizes he fucked up, but he still doesn't back off of it. He still doubles, triples, quadruples down until he gets crucified for it. And he will. There are legal investigations into Ron DeSantis and him shipping uh, aliens to Hyannisport or Cape Cod or wherever you sent them to, because that's highly illegal as well. He's got to deal with that shit. And one thing he's got to deal with between now and 2024 that he will not be able to handle as long as Donald Trump is able to talk, he's going to be tearing Ron DeSantis apart. <laughs> he recently posted a photo of Ron DeSantis when he was a teacher with a bunch of his students and they were drinking and partying and feeling pretty cozy together. And, of course, Donald Trump made him out to be like a pedophile because that's what Donald Trump would do. It's ironic that's the pot calling the kettle black in this instance. But Donald Trump is coming up with nicknames for this guy, Shut Down Ron, a bunch of nicknames coming out. He is going to spend the next two years, as long as he's able Tearing Ron DeSantis to shit. If you think back to any election, think about somebody who's thought to be a front runner two years out. They never end up being the front runner. Other bad shit happens. Donald Trump's going to try to crucify him. He's got all kinds of problems in Florida. There's no way he's going to be the candidate. And when we go through all the things that we went through the last, uh, the next couple of years with all the indictments, investigations, all the evidence that come out that people are exposed for whatever they did from child sex trafficking to uh, treason to being a traitor to whatever insurrection. When all this shit comes out, the Republican Party is not going to be strong. I don't think that either Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump will be the candidates. They won't be strong enough candidates. After the Republicans do what they do in the House of Representatives, which is nothing, and they will have nothing to run on in 2024, the Republican Party is going to freak out a bit. At that point, they're going to be tired of losing. You would think they're tired now, but they're going to be even more tired of losing. And what they're going to have to do is completely and fully step away from MAGA, all the racism, all the misogyny, all the anti-Semitism. And they're going to have to try to get back into more of a mainstream perception. And they're going to probably have to pick a more mainstream candidate, like, say, Mitt Romney. People always say, who's going to run? What Republican is is mainstream enough? Well, there's a few. And I'm not saying they're mainstream compared to Democrats. They're mainstream compared to MAGA. So that's not really saying much. But somebody like Mitt Romney or somebody else, they're going to try to step away from the craziness because they keep losing. And they're going to get somebody more mainstream. I know there's a lot of people worried about Ron DeSantis running in 2024. I really don't believe he'll have any kind of chance or any kind of support to do that. They're going to have to change some things up between now and then. And it won't include Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump or any other crazy motherfucker like them. They're going to have to step away from it. So we'll see if I'm right. I've got two years to wait to see if I am. But that, to me, is what makes sense, common sense, logic. That's what's going to have to happen. All right, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to listen and put up with me. (laughs) I hope you have a great day. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.